Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We are celebrating the end of Sukkot. So Sukkot in Torah is a seven-day festival in the rabbinic period when we were exiled and no longer able to light signal fires saying when the new month began. So you knew when the holiday started because it was the 14th day of the month, right? So the court had to declare the new moon. Every Jewish month begins, where you remember? Every Jewish month begins at the new moon. The Jewish month begins Chodesh month based, you know, is related to the word Chadash, new. What's new? The moon. So that means no moon, right? The dark of the moon. Then every festival happens uh, on the 14th day of the month. Shavuot, however, is dependent on Pesach. So every other one is, uh, the other festivals are on the 14th day of the month. So that's the full moon. So whenever you look up at the sky, you know where we are in the Jewish month. That is a beautiful thing. You can't do that with February, people. You can't look and know, oh, Valentine's Day must be coming because it's a full moon in the month of Valentine's, blah. No, you can't do that. But in Jewish tradition, you can look at the sky and you know where we are in in the Jewish month, if you know the month, um, because zero moon, dark of the moon is the new month. Full moon is the middle of the month, right? And then it starts to wane again until we have no moon. Okay. Chadash, Chodesh. So we have this holiday, this festival of Sukkot uh, at the 14th day of the month, seven days that festival goes at the end of the seven days. So once the, I lost my train of thought. So the rabbis, everyone depended on the court in the rabbinic period. They depended on the court declaring the new moon had been seen in the sky and that that now we have the first day of the Hebrew month. So everybody knows 14 days later is Chag, is the festival. Once you start dealing with exile and you start dealing with people who want to mess up the Jewish calendar by messing with the signal fires and all that kind of stuff that signals the new moon, now you have some doubt about when the new moon exactly started on which day. So to hedge your bets that you're celebrating the festival on the right day, the rabbis made two days of Chag. Two days of festival. Okay. So every festival becomes eight days instead of seven. So we have this festival that outside the land of Israel was eight days that held for outside the land of Israel because you're, you're getting further and further away from the, from where you could see the signal fire and trust that you were on the right day. So outside the land of Israel, <clears throat> a second day of festival of Chag is added, but not in the land of Israel. So in the land of Israel, Barry is celebrating Simchat Torah tonight, okay? The seventh day of Sukkot is Yom Tov, is Yom Tov, and they celebrate Simchat Torah. <coughs> in the diaspora, we add an eighth day, Simchat Torah and Shmini Atzeret happen to happen actually separately, Mordechai Kaplan, when it came down to um, to deciding what to do with the Jewish calendar, the Reconstructionist movement said, we have calendars now. We know what happens in the sky. 
We can predict when there's a new moon. We do not need to add an extra day outside the land of Israel to celebrate with the land of Israel the right day, right? We now know how these things work. So, so Reconstructionist Judaism went with the practice of the land of Israel because now everything should be based once there was a state of Israel. Hebrew, the dates of, of festivals, all that stuff should go, the Reconstructionist said, by Israel. Pronunciation of Hebrew, all that stuff now should be based on the land of Israel. So we don't do what the rest of the, the um, diaspora Jewish world does. So that's why everyone gets confused about when is KI celebrating Simchat Torah. KI gets confused about when KI is celebrating Simchat Torah. Do you know how many staff meetings we have about this? Oh my God. So, so we are coming into tonight for us, Simchat Torah. Other folks will celebrate, right? Um, 24 hours later. The rest of the Jewish world will celebrate tomorrow night into the next day. All right. So there are two things going on. We have, we've added Simchat Torah to this Sukkot business, but there was already a day added to the festival of Sukkot. And we're going to look at a little bit about that in our Sfat Emet text work this morning. So um, we have Sukkot as the festival, but then we get something added to that in Torah. Okay, but we have a lot of things going on. So one is Sukkot, the festival, Simchat Torah, Shemini Atzeret. We're going to talk about all this, but but Simchat Torah also means that's when we read Vizot Bracha, which we don't read on Shabbat. We read it on Simchat Torah. The happy circumstance this year is that we're celebrating that coming into Shabbat. So rather than reading the reading for the seventh day of Sukkot with y'all, which we've read a million times, I'm going instead, we're going to look at Vizot Bracha because we never get to do that. Because Vizot Bracha, Simchat Torah is usually not on Shabbat. So we're going to look at Vizot Bracha as our Shabbat reading. And tonight we have 175 people signed up for Simchat Torah. So come, you should come to KI and experience the joy of Simchat Torah. Finishing Torah, we're going to unroll the entire Torah and have everybody standing and we'll take a little tour through through the Torah. All right. And you can see that from home if you want to watch from home. Okay. So let's, we're going to begin looking at Vizota Bracha. Then we'll look at a little bit of the Sfat Emet through the lens of Rabbi Aaron Lieb Smokler, uh, talking a little bit about Vizota Bracha and about Shmini Atzeret. Okay. Um, and next week, cause we're not here, we're not physically there right now, which makes me sad because we're at Vizota Bracha. So next week, uh, Bert's going to help me. Um, and we're going to take out two Sifrei Torah, and we're going to look at the end of Deuteronomy, and we're going to begin Breshit together in the chapel with two Sifrei Torah. Okay? So I've got them rolled. We're all ready to go. So next week, we will actually uh, physically look at the end of Deuteronomy and begin uh, Breshit, because we are studying Breshit. All right. <clears throat> all right. Here we are at Vizot HaBracha. <clears throat> we're not going to go through the whole Parsha. There's lots of commentary written on these. Um, this is Moshe blessing the tribes before he's going to go up to Mount Nebo and take his leave, right? But he's going to die. So <clears throat> this is his farewell, his actual last farewell address to the people, which is to offer them bracha, to offer them blessing. I read a beautiful piece this year on, um, on bracha 
and some beautiful commentary that's actually very old. Um, and some of it goes all the way back uh, looking for the Shoresh, this root in Torah, that don't read bracha, don't read blessing, read brecha, ul. That bracha really is God's brecha. That when we offer a bracha, when we offer a blessing, what we're doing is immersing in the brecha, in the pool that is God's continuing beneficent overflow, right? God's shefa that pours into the world, which I think is a beautiful, is a beautiful teaching that it's about brecha dipping into that pool of yummy energy that, right, that we talked about on Yom Kippur. All right. Bezot bracha. So this is the bracha with which Moshe blessed, Moshe, the man of God, blessed the people Israel before his death. So he said, Vayomar, and he says, so here we're getting into, you can tell already, for those of you who know any Hebrew, this is this is not our normal biblical Hebrew. This is poetic Hebrew. This is already different, right? Tells us this is this is a different kind of biblical writing. Um, and often this is how we date stuff, right? We date where sources come from because the Hebrew is is different. So God says. You, as Moshe says, God came from Sinai and shone upon them from Seir. God appeared from Mount Paran and approached from Rivivot Kodesh, lightning flashing at them from God's right. Okay, very poetic uh, Hebrew, lots of imagery, right? Metaphor that's right, all about how God shows up, right, with um, fireworks for the Jewish people. Lover. Uh, so here, chovev, right? This, this, uh, this word about love, lover indeed of the people, they're hallowed are all in your hand. They followed in your steps, accepting your pronouncements. Here are the famous line, Torah tziva lanu Moshe, right? So Torah tziva lanu Moshe, Moshe commanded us. Morasha kehilat Yaakov. So what is Torah called here? Torah is called Morasha inheritance of Kehilat Yaakov, right? So another term for biblical Israel. Remember, biblical parallelism is what makes biblical Hebrew beautiful and clever. So right up here we had, um, right? So we have uh, B'nai Israel. We're going to get B'nai Israel referred to, right, in different ways. Kehilat Yaakov is now how we are called, right? We are called the, the congregation of Yaakov. So here Torah is called Morasha, is called an inheritance. So the Svatimet is going to pick up on this line. This is the line that the Svatimet is going to quote. And you, some of you who grew up singing a lot of this stuff will remember Torah, 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 Manu Moshe. Here it is. It's from here. We'll be singing it tonight a lot. All right. So when Moshe charged us with, right, the teaching with Torah, which is the heritage of the congregation of Yaakov. Yachad Shivte Israel. In that, in that reality that 
Torah became the inheritance of the Jewish people. When that happens, God becomes Melech. God becomes king in Yeshurun, another word for Israel, Yeshurun. So, so how does God become king? God becomes king because we accept God's sovereignty by accepting God's teaching. Okay? So when we all got it together, right, and came together, yachad, together. <clears throat> so here comes the bracha for the tribes of Israel that are gathered. It says shiftei Yisrael, right? So the, the, the tribes of Israel come together. First of them, of course, if you remember, y'all remember that the Hebrew Academy in fourth grade, I did Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, right? So how do we remember the 12 sons in order? Reuben was the eldest of the children of Israel with Simeon and Levi, the next in line. Right. So we're going to get all 12 with their brachot, with their blessings now enumerated. So Yechi Reuven ve'al Yamot. So Reuven should live and not die, though few be his numbers. This is where scholars get some interesting insights about the tribal confederation of early Israel. Early Israel was made up of 12, you know, small tribal nation states that come together in a confederation whenever there's danger to fight together, probably some loose kinship ties, you know, um, and, and cultural ties. But then they disband again after the emergency is over until Saul and David unite the tribes into a monarchy, into a nation. So we look to poetry like this to kind of go back to an early time when we can see what was happening within that tribal confederation. So this is a time when this poetry is written, reflects a time when Ruvain had had status as firstborn, but is now few in numbers. So Ruvain had been, if it's the quote, firstborn, right? It's retrojecting a story of 12 brothers. That's how this confederation gets started. That becomes our sacred mythology. Ruvain as quote, firstborn means Ruvain was a powerful tribe, but then becomes few in numbers, right? So Yechi Ruvain below Yuma, why is it talking about our, you know, the patriarch that's imagined about Ruvain as an actual ancestor why should he live and not die because remember he slept with his father's concubine after his father's death that is a crime worthy of capital punishment so he should live and not die meaning he deserved to die but didn't he didn't get killed for it um though few be his numbers and we're not going to go through all of them um, but this he said of Yehuda hear Yotevafe the voice of Yehuda and restore him to his people Though his own hands strive for him, help him against his foes. Remember, King David comes from Yehuda. The temple is built in Yehuda. Of Levi, he said, let your two Mim and Urim be your faithful one, whom you tested at Masa, challenged at the waters of Merivah. So why Urim and Tumim for Levi? Because, of course, the high priest who wears the Urim and Tumim comes from the tribe of Levi. Who said of his father and mother, I consider them not. His brothers he disregarded, ignored his own children. Your precepts alone they observed and kept your covenant. They shall teach your laws to Yaakov and your instructions to Israel. 
they shall offer you incense to savor and whole offerings on your altar. Because remember, the Levites serve in the temple, the Mishkan and the temple. Bless Yudhei his substance and favor his undertakings. Smile the loin, smite the loins of his foes. Let his enemies rise no more. Of Binyamin Amar, Yedid Yudhei Yishkon Levetach. Of Binyamin it said, beloved. Remember, Binyamin is the youngest. Binyamin's the baby. Rachel dies giving birth to Binyamin. So um, Binyamin, the beloved, right, who gets taken. Remember, Joseph holds Binyamin hostage uh, to see what the brothers will do. He rests securely besides, beside God who protects him always as he rests between God's shoulders. Um, <clears throat> and of Yosef, he said, blessed of Yotevofe be his land with the bounty of dew from heaven and of the deep that couches below. With the bounteous yield of the sun and the bounteous crop of the moons, with the best from the ancient mountains and the bounty of hills immemorial, with the bounty of earth and its fullness and the favor of the presence in the bush, the sneh, may these rest on the head of Yosef, on the crown of the elect of his brothers. <laughs> yeah, some some election, huh? <laughs> you got elected to be thrown into a pit and then sold into slavery and imprisoned. Okay, <laughs> kind of like being the chosen people. <clears throat> so we get um, more about Yosef, of course, Ephraim and Manasseh. Those are actually the the land that is apportioned or is apportioned to Ephraim and Manasseh, the sons of Yosef, the grandsons of Yaakov. Zvulun, Yisachar. So here we get Gad. We get all of the rest of the tribes and of Dan, um, Naphtali, Asher, Yeshurun, <clears throat> now talking about <clears throat> the people of Israel, there is none like God riding through the heavens to help you through the skies in God's majesty. The ancient God is a refuge, a support are the arms everlasting. He drove out the enemy before you by his command, destroy. Thus, Israel dwells in safety. Untroubled is Yaakov's abode. In a land of grain and wine under heaven's dripping dew. Oh, happy Israel. Who is like you, a people delivered by Yudhevavte? <clears throat> your protecting shield, your sword triumphant. Your enemies shall come cringing before you and you shall tread on their backs. That's the end of the series of brachot that Moshe delivers <clears throat> to the people. Vaya'al Moshe. And so Moshe goes up from the steeps of Moab to Mount Nebo. To the summit of Pisgah opposite Yericho, and Yerevafe showed him the whole land, Gilead as far as Dan. Right, Dan is in the north. <clears throat> All Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, the whole land of Judah as far as the western sea, and the Negev and the plain, the valley of Jericho, the, son, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. And Yodevave said to him, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. I will assign it to your offspring. I've let you see it with your own eyes, but you shall not cross there. So Moses, the servant of Yodevave, died there in the land of Moab at the command of Yodevave. <clears throat> the rabbis want to read Alpi Adonai, which you could say Alpi Adonai, meaning by the mouth of God, meaning God commanded it. But the rabbis don't want to read it. As a command, God forbid, um, Alpi Adonai, Moshe literally dies by the mouth of God. 
For the rabbis, the image is that God kisses Moshe on the mouth. And so Moshe dies by God's mouth. So God kisses Moshe on the mouth and takes Moshe's soul with a kiss, which is a beautiful, beautiful image. Vayikboroto. So who's yikboring? He, and he buried him. Who's he? If we assume Moshe is alone, right? It only says Moshe went up. If Moshe is alone, who's doing the burying? God. If God buries Moshe, who are we not to bury our dead, right? Our beloved. And so our tradition has always understood burying our dead to be one of the highest mitzvot. The most important mitzvot that we can perform for one another is burying each other, burying our loved ones. Even God <coughs> buries God's beloved. <coughs> God buries him in the valley in the land of Moab near Bet Peor, and no one knows his burial place to this day. Why does Torah have to put that in here? That nobody knows the burial place of Moshe. So that it does not become a pilgrimage place. So that it does not become a shrine. Because that's not the point. Moshe is not the point. The Torah, Shetzivalanu Moshe, is the point. The Torah, the instruction that Moshe gave us as an inheritance, is the point. Not Moshe himself. Many other traditions then lift up their founding person as a demigod or as someone who you you visit their graves their grave in order right to to get some of the holiness of that person what's ironic is that it then did become part of the tradition of many of the hasidic sects to go to the graves of our ancestors and the graves of great rebbe great rabbinic presences and to lie on their graves so ironically what what biblically we always think we're so ahead of the biblical folk who didn't know anything. They were so silly and so stupid. Well, right. We always think we're evolving past them. And on some things, maybe, maybe we do, maybe we are, but on this one, right. They, even in the biblical period, they knew not a good idea to set up Moshe as the point. Set up the teaching of Moshe as what you want to connect to if you want to connect to holiness, not to Moshe's burial place. Well, many, many, many in the Hasidic world today um, really lift up the graves of both where they think our ancestors are buried, right? Go, go talk about the kind of guards that have to be paid by the state of Israel to guard, right, the the graves of our ancestors because they become holy sites, pilgrimage sites and but they are in you know territories where there are a lot of palestinians so it's it's crazy it's crazy um all right moshe was 120 years old when he died his eyes were undimmed and his vigor unabated so remember we had moshe say i can't go out and come in anymore i'm tired i can't do this anymore uh the objective judgment of torah is that that's not so right so what does that tell us about moshe his eyes were undimmed and his vigor unabated. So what tells what te- that tells us, I think, about Moshe who said, I can't do this anymore. I'm old. I can't go in and come out anymore. If the, if the objective 
narrator says Moshe's fine. Barry. Yes, I I um, I, I use that uh, exact phrase uh, and compared it to to the first chapter of Deuteronomy. Uh, when when a person uh, leaves teaching because and they say that's it, I'm burnt out. I need I need to do something else. So we remind them that this that Moses just felt this professional burnout and he needed he needed out. Uh, but it doesn't mean that their life is over and they uh, can still do great things, but in other areas of life. Beautiful. So that, that's an important message. Beautiful, right? So Moshe says, I can't do this anymore. I can't go in and come out. I'm tired. I'm old. I'm done. The Torah says, nah, that was Moshe's self-assessment. You know, and Barry's using the language, right? Of He's burned out. He's completely burned out. So he probably can't do this anymore or do it very well. But it ain't because he's finished. It's because he needs a vacation, right? He needs to go to a spa and probably needs to shift gears, right? All right. So he, he, poor Moshe. So he, he dies. Right. So here, right, here's our practice to this day. We mourn for 30 days, right? Intensely mourn. For 30 days. So they mourn uh, Moshe for 30 days. Then the days of uh, Evel, the days of mourning for Moshe are over. Yoshua binun, my And Yoshua binun is filled with the spirit of chokma, of wisdom, because Moshe, samach Moshe et yadavalav, because Moshe um, put his hands on, on Yoshua and gave him holy zappage, right? So he zaps, uh, you know, uh, Yoshua with this ruach chokma. Somehow Moshe gives up his own ruach to uh, Yoshua. So of course this becomes the way rabbis inherit their authority is smicha. This placing on of the hands, we've talked about this before, smicha, this laying on of the hands by someone, and it connects all the way back, you know, to the rabbis, to the Sanhedrin, to um, the elders, the 70 elders, back to Yoshua, back to Moshe. Moshe, of course, got it at Sinai from God. So that zappage goes all the way down. Reconstructionist Judaism does not call it smicha. We do not call it ordination because... We don't believe in a zappage. We do not believe rabbis are different from anybody else. We believe rabbis have the title Rav because we have Rav Torah. Hopefully we have an abundance of learning, a breadth of learning, but we don't have anything that is connected to this idea of laying on of the hands that transmits some kind of something that makes them the leader somehow. Um you can decide whether you like that or not, but that's how it is. We graduate from rabbinical school and we get a degree. We get a master's in Hebrew letters and we get the title Rav. We get the title Rabbi in the people of Israel. Okay. Um, blah, 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 blah. We've had this conversation before about, is that really true? Don't we have some kind of weird other thing going on? But we're not gonna have that conversation today. All right. So, um, and the Israelites listened to Yoshua doing as Yudhe Vafed commanded Moshe. And actually in his book, 
uh, Goodman, Micha Goodman talks about this was a pretty good period. Like the, the folks following Yoshua, the way we have it recorded is that people behaved. The Israelites pretty much behaved. Didn't last very long, but they followed Yoshua and it was a pretty good, it was a pretty good time. Right? So from, is it Yigdal? Yigdal. So one of the PU team, one of the poet poems that we sing at the end of services on Shabbat morning. Uh, there never again rose in Israel a prophet like Moshe who saw God Panim El Panim face to face, had all this amazing stuff go on with Egypt against Paro and his courtiers on the whole country. And for all the great might and awesome power that Moshe displayed before all of Israel. Chazak, Chazak, Vanit Chazak. Strong, strong may we be, may we be continue, continually strengthened in our study of Torah. And so, of course, we immediately begin. God in the in the beginningness of beginning and the happenings of beginnings, God was creating heaven and earth, the earth being Tovavo with Hoshech darkness over the face of the Tehom of the deep and the spirit of God, the Ruach of Elohim. We just had the Ruach Hochma given to Yoshua. Now we have we go back to the beginning and we have the Ruach of God hovering over the face of the water. Note for next time, note to ourselves, what is there before creation? Before anything is created, what is there? Choshech, darkness. So it seems to be something that's not about the absence of light. It's its own thing. Choshech and Tehom. Choshech, darkness and water are already there before, and God, of course, before creation. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. There's a wonderful new book by uh, an African-American Zen priestess that some of us are reading. Um, some of my rabbi colleagues and I are reading called Opening to Darkness. So we're going to talk a little bit about that next time. All right. How are we doing? Everybody okay? Barry, are you frozen or are you just wrapped? Are you watching television, I'm, Barry? I'm okay. No. Okay. You're looking Listen. up. <laughs> You're like looking up at something. No, like, it's just uh, it's uncomfortable for me to put the phone right in front of me where I sit. Got it. Got it. All right, let's look at Bezot Bracha from this, the point of view of Sfat Emet and through the eyes of the wonderful Rabbi Aaron Leib Smokler. The Sfat Emet's going to pick this line that we looked at. Chorat Siva Lanu Moshe Morashakahi Lat Yaakov. So, so Torah Moshe commanded us. As a morasha, as an inheritance to of the people, the kehilat of Yaakov. So now what is the spot Emet going to say? Ugadol kocho, right? So great was the koach, the strength, the energy of Moshe, our teacher, who bequeathed Torah, 
Lechol Hadorot, to all of the generations, Kamosh Katuv, as it is written, Morasha. So he made it into an inheritance. So that means in English, you bequeath it. How do I make, how do I make my estate Eliana's inheritance? It doesn't just happen. I have to bequeath it to her. Right? How did I know Eliana loved a piece of jewelry that I was wearing when she was little? Mommy, do I get that when you die? So that's how I knew. She loved it. So for real. All right. So Morasha. Moshe had to make it. He had to bequeath it to them as an inheritance. Ve'alav ne'emar. And about Moshe, right? It is written in Deuteronomy. Moshe charged us with the Torah as the heritage of the congregation of Yaakov. We just read that. About him, it is said. About Moshe, it is also said, if you look at the book of Kohelet, that, that somebody's going to say is talking about Moshe. And remember, we read Kohelet on Sukkot. So the Sfatimet knows this. Sfatimet knows we're reading Kohelet right now. So he's going to connect Vizota Bracha to a line from Kohelet because he's a genius and this is the rabbi game and he's very good at it because he's amazing. So he says this line from Kohelet that we are just reading right now, wisdom is as, is good as an uh, inher- wisdom is as good as an inheritance, meaning lovely if you get left $17 million, just as good. And I would say our tradition would say in some ways better that you are right inheriting wisdom for whatever one acquires as wisdom for oneself is not yet complete goodness, right? It's not tova shlema, according to the Svaramet. It's not full and complete goodness. To bequeath the koach of your chokhmah, the strength of your wisdom, to all of Israel, that is tova shlema. That is full goodness. And this is what happened with Moshe, our teacher. May his memory protect us all. Beautiful. <clears throat> all right. So, so now we're getting to the analysis by Rabbi Smokler. The last portion of Torah, Zoda Bracha, is not read on Shabbat, like, like we've talked about, like all other portions, right? Instead, it's read on Simchat Torah, which is usually in the middle of the week, the final day of the final holiday or somewhere in the week, um, the final day of the final holiday of the high holiday season. This last day, which for everybody um, is also Shemini Atzeret in Israel. So everybody in Israel, they are celebrated together, Simchat Torah and Shemini Atzeret. So we as Reconstructionists celebrate Shemini Atzeret and Simchat Torah together. This, this Shemini Atzeret business, this last day, this eighth day, Shmona, right? Eight, Shemini, the eighth, is something of a mystery. After a week-long celebration of Sukkot, which followed Yom Kippur, which followed Rosh Hashanah, the Torah prescribes one more day of holiday. So she's bringing us from Vayikra, from Leviticus, where we get this, right? So the first, so the first day shall be a sacred occasion, right? You see my cursor? So that's the first day of Sukkot, right? Is Chag, is Yontif. You shall not work. Seven days you shall bring offerings, right? On the eighth day, you shall observe a sacred occasion and bring an offering by fire to the Lord. It is a solemn gathering. Atzeret. You shall not work at your occupations. All right. So what is the meaning of this atzeret, this eighth day of celebration? Because look, Torah doesn't tell us. It doesn't say. It just says it's a solemn gathering, meaning it's, you know, it's a holiday. All right. Uh, meaning, uh, why? 
For what? Doesn't say. But Rashi's going to explain for us. Thank God for Rashi. What does Rashi say? Atzeretu. Thank you, Rashi. That's pshita. Like, duh. Okay. It's Atzeret. I know. Vayukra just told us it's Atzeret. Like, that's so clear now. Ah, he's going to unpack Atzeret from Atzar to hold back, to delay, to tarry. A lot of commentaries say tarry, right? It's a beautiful commentary by Rashi. Atzarti etrem etzli. God is saying, I don't want to let you go. I'm keeping you one day more. Atzar. I'm keeping you back one day more. It is similar to the case of a king. God is always a king in these things, remember? Who invited his children to a banquet for a certain number of days. When the time arrived for them to take their leave, he said, children, I beg of you, stay one more day with me. It is so hard for me to part with you. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful interpretation by Rashi and the tradition about what this solemn last flipping day. Haven't we not had enough days of hug, of, of things we have to do? Why one more? Rashi says it's out of love. God doesn't want to let us go. After all the intensity and all the intimacy of this time period, God craves just one more day. It's hard for me. My separation from you, says the Holy One. Please linger just a bit longer. Let us savor the sweetness of the connection we've created. Let us pause for one moment more to honor and integrate the depths of our encounter. Don't go just yet. In the context of this sacred pause, this atzeret, we read the words of the Zotabracha, Moshe's parting blessings to the tribe of Israel. No doubt, kashe alav predato. No doubt, says Rabbi Smokler, hard for Moshe was his separation from the people. Forget if God is having a hard time separating from the people and God is God. Rashi now makes it even harder for us to deal with this, those of us who are feeling badly for Moshe this year, right? It was for God to leave the people and God is God. Imagine Moshe. Imagine it is for Moshe to leave the people. And so, so now... Now, look, we're going to read through that lens, that that first verse from 33 that we just read. This is the blessing with which Moses, God's person, bade the Israelites farewell before he died. Moshe charged us with the Torah as the heritage of the congregation of Yaakov. Now we can read that line differently. Speaking in the third person, because, of course, Moshe supposedly wrote Deuteronomy. So Moshe's writing about Moshe giving the Torah as an inheritance to Israel. So writing in the third person about himself as the one who transferred the great teachings from on high to all the people below in perpetuity. This Fatimet sees in these words a teaching about wisdom itself. So again, this is the thing that we just read, um, right? That he has um, full goodness. As Moshe faces his death, he focuses not on what he has acquired, but on what he has bequeathed. He reminds his people. So he's writing about his own death. What does he focus on? Not himself, but what he was able to bequeath the people, right? He reminds his people that the Torah that he gave to them is his in his lifetime is to be their inheritance going forward. It belongs to them now. They will own it. They will augment it and they will pass it along. This, says the Sfatimet, is the essence of wisdom, the recognition that insight is only useful if it is shared, if it becomes a nahala, 
and inheritance. Nachala means inheritance in Hebrew, usually in the form of property. But I love this. I did not put this together until this, till now. But its root is nachal, meaning stream. When wisdom becomes a nachala, an inheritance, it flows, right? When wisdom becomes an inheritance, it becomes a nachal, it becomes a river, it flows. It moves from person to person, from place to place, picking up new material along the way, like a river does, and carrying it forward. Such was Moshe's legacy. He offered his people reservoirs of wisdom and then charged them to keep it flowing, y'all. Y'all, that's what we do every week. How beautiful is this? With this charge, we end our year of study. And she says to us, Rabbi Smokler, it is hard for me to separate from y'all. The good news is we don't separate from each other. She is talking about uh, having ended her year of studying with us and her year of, of feeding us um, from the spot I'm at. But this beautiful, incredibly beautiful teaching, Nachala, another word for Morasha, inheritance, um, but from the root Nachal, from this root river. When we make wisdom, Torah, an inheritance, it flows from person to person, picking up stuff along the way, and remember, when a river, when river water picks stuff up along the way, that's what purifies the water, right? Coming through all those rocks and all that silt, that's what purifies water. So it picks stuff up along the way. It becomes cleaner, more pure, more nourishing, <clears throat> but it can't do that if we don't pass it on. Torah as an inheritance means nothing if it stays on the written page and doesn't live and doesn't become something that nourishes and feeds us. So I have to say, when I talk about y'all, when I talk about this group, I rave. I rave about the experience. And I say to people, you may not think you're going to like Torah study, but you haven't studied with these people. What happens in this chevre is something absolutely life-giving. And it's exactly what the Svadimet is pointing to, that in this group, Torah lives. All y'all, the amount of focus, attention, open-heartedness, curiosity, love that y'all bring to this conversation and how we can apply what we're learning and studying together to our lives and to our community and to the world that is given into our care, this this is what makes Torah anachala, makes it um, a living inheritance as well as a river. So um, I just want to say, as we come to the end of one reading of the cycle of Torah and the beginning of another, I just need to tell you what an incredible honor and privilege it is for me to to have the the great good fortune to be your Rav um, and to to be um, entrusted with uh, helping guide our conversation uh, each week about this um, amazing gift, this amazing um, nachala that we have been given, this morasha, this inheritance we've been given. So, um, and thank you for the way that you are always proving me right when somebody comes to check this out very tentatively. It takes a lot of courage for somebody to show up in this group who doesn't know us, right, Nick? Um, and right, Barry? It, it takes a lot of guts, a lot of chutzpah, and a lot of koyach to come in uh, to this group. And you all continue to be this brecha, to be this amazing pool 
uh, into which people drop and are carried and are weightless in. Um, and that bracha, of course, is our greatest bracha, is our greatest blessing that we have uh, created together. I want to share the <coughs> poem by Rabbi Jill Hausman, Torah on Simchat Torah. Each time, each time, and each year, we read the ancient words, burrowing into the empty spaces between those words, feeling the wonder there, letting them sink into us as we become one with them, resting ever more deeply this year in each line, each phrase, each word, sinking into them and held mesmerized in their embrace, the profound expansive meanings washing over us, in us, and through us, giving us a new glimmer of understanding, speaking to us of our ancient selves and the life of our present heart. This year, may more of their secrets be unlocked. This year, may we fall into them and be caught there, enveloped by their cosmic wisdom, held more deeply than ever before. So may it be, so may it be the will that this year we are strengthened uh, again um, to studying Torah together and bringing its wisdom forward uh, into into the amazing hearts and minds and souls of all y'all who so graciously give of your time and attention um, every every time we gather. So as we begin to read it again, as the people of Israel use our eyes to contemplate Torah, meaning we read Torah, um, creation is renewed because it's told to us that before all the eyes of Israel, right, was Torah placed, right? And I mean, God, God's awesomeness here. We see if you see my cursor. Um, Moshe brought that, you know, brought that to in view of all the people of Israel. I help God's you know, glory be um, shown to the people Israel. And so our our Rabbi, Rabbi Baruch of Mishbitze says um, that when we complete the final verse of the Torah, we immediately read the first one in the beginning of God's creating heaven and earth. We tie the end and the beginning of Torah together. Um, there is wisdom to be mined when we do that. When we tie the last of before all the eyes of the eyes of all Israel, we tie that to in the beginning the Torah ends by emphasizing the power of our eyes and minds to contemplate the world through Torah as we begin to read it again from the beginning. Can you get me to the bottom? There you go. Thank you. We immediately find ourselves in the story of creation, right? So as we begin from the beginning, we're in the story of creation. Reb Baruch suggests that this is not accidental. He reminds us that when our eyes are open to the mysteries of the world and we use the Torah to approach those mysteries, something new emerges, a chidush, right? We talked about chodesh, month, hadash, new, chidush, or in our, as we uh, say, those of us who study from the Ashkenazi tradition, the chidush, right? What's the chidush of this, of this lesson of our time together, this Friday morning Torah study. What's the chiddush? What's the new thing that comes out, right? So, and so this is what he's saying that we, we come, um, to the beginning again. We come again from having learned from a year together. We come to the beginning again. Something is renewed, right? Something in the mystery of everything is renewed. This is the power of mindfulness. 
if we live with our eyes open to what is actually happening right before the eyes of Israel, moment to moment, and we allow ourselves to bring our attention to the truth of our experience, something new emerges. It may be a feeling that was blocked, an embodied sensation from which we had detached, or perhaps even a repressed truth about our lives that suddenly comes into full focus. Each of these things, from the smallest bodily sensation to the deepest truth of our lives, is itself a chidush, the emergence of something new, or perhaps something old that is new to us because we finally opened our eyes to it. This chidush joins the universe of God's creation. My new awareness of the truth of my life now takes its place among the expanse of the heavens and the bird that feeds its young. It is part of God's creation, and when I comprehend this, I understand that I, too, am not separate from any living thing. I am part of that creation. The end of the Torah is also its beginning. The eyes of Israel lead us to creation, which is ongoing and never-ending. In our fortunate moments, we truly grasp this as we collapse into the unity of God's creating alongside the mighty seas and we little ant. If only we could stay in that knowing. That is our job. That is our business every Friday morning is to drop into that knowing, is to drop into the chidush, something, letting something new open to us, letting something somebody else says in this group bring up something new for us, a new insight, a new question. That's that's the best for us as a new question. Um, right. So this this beautiful piece uh, by David Shook about the end is the beginning for us. Right. The end for us leads right into creation. Lisa. I just have to share this because this is so hitting everything right on the head. Yesterday, my uncle, uh, my husband's uncle, who was 106 years old and a Holocaust survivor died. His own choice. He had, he, he was totally aware. He was like Moses. I, I'm just, I'm completely Clint right now. I mean, completely physically fine, mentally fine, except his heart was about to go and he knew it. And this man remembered everything from his experience in the Holocaust. And that was his legacy to the family, as well as being um, an extraordinarily optimistic human being. And when when you're speaking now of this legacy and the ability of one human being who is the Moses of this family, um, to give an inheritance that is beyond riches and which each generation will carry on. I, this, it's just the fact that he died this week, um, that this all comes together as, as one piece, this ending of something. And I guess now the beginning of something else. Um, it, it's just incredible to me. So I, I just had to share that. <laughs> so, bravo, Uncle Joe. Yes. <laughs> and we offered this teaching in his memory. Um, tell me his, tell us his name. Joe Goldfarb. Joe Goldfarb. We offer this teaching in his memory. It should continue to be for us in Morasha. Uh, my mother died Arab Simchastara. So I always kind of feel like, okay. Boy, if that isn't right, like you said, like the end is the beginning. The yeah, yeah. End of one Thank life. Thank you. Yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, 
www.ourki.org.